Hello, beautiful people. Before we get started, I need to thank some new Patreon patrons. Thank you to the Broadway Stead podcast, which I assume is a podcast about the great actors who make up the ensemble and company roles of every Broadway show. Like Trading Space's own Paige Davis. Did you know Paige Davis's first name is Mindy? And her husband's name is Patrick Page? Which makes her Mindy Page Davis Page. Fun fact, want to get thanked on this podcast? Just take your unruly heart to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. There are a few tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Our pilot episode on Moulin Rouge is available now on this feed so you can sample before you buy. New patron-only episodes will be released on the 27th of each month. April's movie is the Barbra Streisand classic Yentl with Roddy Flynn and Carrie Ginsburg. We dreamcast Gypsy during it. It makes less sense in context. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. My play Tinkerbell is open and running at first stage in Milwaukee. My adaptation of Peter Pan from Tinkerbell's point of view now plays through June 2nd. Tickets and performance information are available at firststage.org. Tinkerbell, now through June 2nd at First Stage, Milwaukee. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a podcaster, lyricist, and I'm a guest in his house. It's Kevin Yeager, everybody. Hey, how's it going? And playwright. I should just say librettist. You could just say writer man. Writer man. <laughs> I'll take that too. Captain writer man today. <laughs> That's me. Captain That's you, writer Captain man. writer man. So Kevin... You went to Florida State University. I did. Which is on your hat right there. Yes, it is. And I'm... you don't have a Wikipedia page, but if you did, that would be on there. Yes, it would. And it would also say <laughs> that Florida State was established in 1851. <laughs> it sounds like a Kevin's quarter. 1851 was also the year Doc Holliday was born. <laughs> Holiday and Express used to run a series of TV ads with the same line, it won't make you smarter, but you'll feel smarter, which was the stupidest thing to say or think that anyone's oh written God, out I loud. I forgot about that. Think is a song written and performed by Aretha Franklin, which appears on her 1968 album, Aretha Now. Yep. Now is the opening song for the musical Little Night Music by Stephen Sondheim, who also wrote the songs Epiphany, Ever After, and One More Kiss, which are almost also songs in the musical... Oh, fair. Jason. Peter, don't you worry. Jason. Because I wouldn't leave you. Jason. Not even for Zach. Go. Hey, looking good, man. Jason. What we have is perfect. Jason. Then we'll tell my mother. Jason. Let's lay off the crack. You and I, you take my hand, leaving me breathless. Take a look in these big blue eyes so you'll understand. And know why we whisper in the hallways. I'll be with you always. Run together. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on this side of that kind of a question. I know. Question. I didn't think you had. So I was like, oh, this is actually really hard to follow. <laughs> now I get why it's people It's hard look to follow when like you that. listen, too. <laughs> Which I can't, I cannot imagine, because like, it's tricky when you're listening, but you're like, whatever, I'm just listening. It doesn't yeah, make any difference. Right. But yeah, I can't imagine somebody being like, when is the question? What, what the question? When is the question? Which is good that you say, like, so my question to you is. Yeah. <laughs> I actually started putting that in because the mm -hmm. eyes were so big that I was like, oh, they don't remember that I'm talking to them. Right. Like their brain just exploded. <laughs> so I have to bring them in and be like, and this is what you have to hear. Right. <laughs> 
if you don't get that little bit, you're listening. You're not listening to Broad Wasted, and that's that's, true. that's a mistake that you've yeah. made. So, and I won't explain it. Um, <laughs> so, how did Bear come into your life? Um, so, I uh, went to uh, Florida State, like you said, but um, I actually studied classical voice. I mm. thought I wanted to be an opera singer, um, and so. I saw all the musicals at FSU while they were being done. I actually, my senior year was cast in Sweeney Todd. And so I was in the show. I was in the ensemble. Um, it was super fun. And that was when I was like, oh, wait, no, I really love musicals. And that's why I came here. And so I, after college, just started uh, performing regionally and stuff. And at one of my regional gigs, there was uh, a guy there who was shocked that I'd never heard of the musical Bear as a mm. gay man. And he was like, you also went to Catholic school? He was like, this is literally your life and you need to listen to this. And I listened to it and it was a lot of things I could resonate with. Mm-hmm. And it um, has kind of still stuck with me as uh, because it's kind of popped up in random ways in my life. Uh, like, for example, I moved to New York City in 2012 And um, it was like I'd spent some years in Jersey, like we all do, (laughs) on our clawing our way up here. Right. Um, And so it was like a big, it felt like a big accomplishment for a boy from, when I was little, I was from Ohio, and then we moved to Florida when I was young, and I grew up there. So like a boy from Florida making it into the big city and having Mm -hmm. an apartment here, and I felt so strong and like accomplished. And so I decided that I was going to go out on my first week and buy a full price ticket to a show. Wow. Just to be like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Here I come, New York. And I went to see what was playing, and Bear was playing at New World Stages. Oh, wow. In its new version as like Bear the Musical, because mm-hmm. it was, we're talking about Bear the Pop Opera. We're talking about Bear opera. the Pop Opera, right. Um, so I went and bought a ticket to see Bear, and that was my first show that I went to as a New Yorker. Wow. So like it's been like kind of like a big musical in my it life. It pops up, and yeah. Everybody, that's really interesting. It pop operas up. It pop- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard of this show uh, until you recommended it, and uh, I'll tell you, it's not an easy listen, uh, especially not this morning as, yeah, <laughs> as I, I was like, rolling up town. But my commute was long enough that I was able to listen to almost the whole thing again today. Um, it has a very, I guess the the comparison is unfair. But there's nothing else to compare it to. In the, you'll understand when I say this. It's, yes. it's, it's got a very Spring Awakening vibe 100%. to it. 100%. Which is not neither a compliment nor an insult. It's just a angsty teenage musical about yes. people coming of age. And that's the big musical about people coming of age. Yes. With a pop score, I should totally. say. So it has, especially at the beginning, mm-hmm. a very Spring Awakening vibe, which it kind of quickly dispenses with. Yes. It into, like. yeah. And it like slowly falls into like, moody brooding singer songwriter yes and and into but also into it feels like it has more structure than spring awakening like spring awakening to me is a step step and sing musical where it's like scene 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 step forward and sing a song 100 percent. and the two songs comment on the action sometimes advance but more just comment or reflect on what's yep. happening in the story mm-hmm. whereas this is a pop opera is inexorably entwined and the songs are telling you the story and and as it moves forward. So it does feel a lot more propulsive than, than spring awakening does. Yes. Um, so before we get too deep, in, oh, there's a poster right there over your head of this. There very is. Musical. Look at that. I bought that on the night that I saw the show. <laughs> what is the plot of bear? So bear is basically kind of like a show within a show. Mm. It's because, uh, it's a 
boarding Catholic high school and they are putting on a production of Romeo and Juliet and the most popular, like attractive kid in school, Jason is playing Romeo and his best friend and roommate, the like quiet, artistic, intrinsic, twinky <laughs> Peter is uh, playing Mercutio's best friend. But the real crux of the story is that uh, Peter and Jason are secret lovers mm-hmm. and, and roommates and roommates. So it's At like a whole, school. a whole, whole thing. thing. So they're super gay together. And, but Jason is, Basically, Peter is okay with being gay and wants to tell people. Jason wants to keep it a secret. And Jason, struggling with his sexuality, ends up being entwined with the popular girl. And like high school stories go, it gets super lifetime movie Especially and dramatic. Especially high school girl uh, yep. stories go. Yep. And uh, they, it gets tragic like Romeo and Juliet. And like the all gay stories of like the... 80s and 90s and early 2000s that end tragically for gay love stories. Yeah. So it's written in 2000. Yeah. At least this version that we're yes. listening to. Was it significantly changed when it was adapted into Bear the Musical? Yes. Oh, okay. They um, went even harder into their trying to be Spring Awakening feel. Oh. Uh, they cut songs and rewrote new songs with a new composer because uh, the composer of Bear actually uh, died of un like not discussed causes. Uh, I believe he struggled with addiction. Sure. Um, But after he passed away, the book writer lyricist went to a different composing team and Mm. had a couple new songs written. Uh, They changed characters like uh, the sister who like her whole stories that she's feels fat and inadequate becomes like not fat and was played by Barrett Wilbert weed. And oh. was the drug dealer and was just like oh. a dark brooding drug dealer girl. Uh, I wish there was a vocal expression for the face I'm making. Yeah, right they changed relationships. That's a huge change. Yeah, they changed relationships. Like in the in Bear the Musical, Matt and uh, Ivy are actually dating when uh, oh, okay. things are going on. So it makes it like that more that's, complicated. Well, yeah, say, that raises the stakes of that. So, that's so not yeah, they, they added that to raise the stakes. Um but and they also changed who sings which song like they did a lot of like changes where it was just like you could tell they were just trying to find something to make it different because one of the things i also love about this show is like there's inherent flaws built in that could never really be fixed right which um i'm so glad to hear you oh 100 (laughs) percent. like i i don't think this is a perfect musical at all it just has meant a lot to me because it it meant a lot at when I heard, first heard it at a young age, like I had never heard like expressions of male to male love mm-hmm. in like a sweet and romantic way. Um, I also like the song Are You There is really uh, powerful to me because it's uh, Peter, the gay character, is speaking to God when he's drunk, basically being like, Do you care about me? Mm-hmm. But there's also a straight character who's saying the same things, mirroring him. And so in that way, the song is like, oh, wait, like straight people and gay people feel the same kind of worry about these kind of issues. It's just different specifics. There's another reason. Yeah. It sucks to be ignored. I know. I always fight to do what's right. And this is my reward. This is my reward. Are you there? Are you there? Can you make 
that you're out there And they tell me that you see I've tried to find the meaning God, you know how hard I've tried But I don't know where I'm going And I don't have any guide Right, so it made me feel not as isolated um, it made me kind of open up and realize I could talk to straight people, some straight people about my these kind of darker issues because sure. they feel the same thing, but in different ways. Like it, and so like songs like that mean a lot to me. Role of a Lifetime is like I think every gay male who tried to be in the closet at some point could understand that song and mm -hmm. it deeply resonates with them. everyone and he assumes that role to such renown he plays a perfect part straight from his heart knowing the risk he takes and hoping that the house is not brought down the role of a lifetime it's living a fantasy drama that you struggle to erase thoughts battle words over deeds a war with such casualties all played out behind a smiling face but like story-wise there are some like major issues with this show for sure so i want to before i ask you what they are because i agree uh, I, I'm really glad I want to put a put a button on this real fast because I'm really glad to hear you say that because you see probably more theater than anybody I know. <laughs> I do. I'm I'm very very fortunate. I mean, you and Kimberly and and Brian see just everything. And aside from putting my envy aside, the uh, <laughs> but what makes that profound to me is that one of the things that I think every like if you really want to love music theater and be comfortable with it and enjoy it as much as you can, you have to understand that there are maybe five shows that have no problems. Yes. That are just, they work from start to finish and everything is perfect and everything's assembled. And like, they may not even be shows that you particularly think are that writer's best work. Like I would say probably off the top of my head, the tightest show that Stephen Sondheim has from that angle is Sweeney Todd. I think yes. that like you can't put a hole in Sweeney Todd. It, it it works and it moves, but you might have more emotional connection to like Follies or Company or Sunny in the Park exactly. with George. Like, it, but it just those those shows all have problems, correct? That are built into them and actually are part of what make them joyous if you open yourself up 100 percent, yeah and it's just that gets lost a lot. <laughs> I, I agree i agree and i think sometimes like one of the things that has been nice about seeing a lot of theater is getting to remember that because uh you can't go into every show being like i am going to love this or hate it mm -hmm. like you have to go into it being like I am so blessed to be in a theater and see a live show that a lot of people put a lot of hard work into. And there's, like you said, like part of loving musicals is, I mean, we are accepting the fact that people are standing in the middle of a crowded street singing and that, that random people they don't know start being backup dancers. Like right. we're already accepting the absurd. So like there are things that are built into these stories that are so ridiculous and like problematic and like actually like, cause problems for the show but like you love them still like mm -hmm. it, and they 
I think those imperfections sometimes are the things that makes a show someone's favorite. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I, I very yeah. rarely hear people say that like Gypsy is their favorite musical, but like you can argue Gypsy is one of those five yeah, like I would perfect say, yeah. written musicals. Mm-hmm. And everyone acknowledges it. It's an amazing show. We'll all go see it. They revive it like 37 times. Yeah. But like it, it's just a perfect show. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the thing that people are like, oh, that's my very favorite show is Gypsy because we love some of these imperfections that mean something to us. I would have to have to pause now at this point and say uh, to Kerry Ginsburg, yes, I hear you screaming at Kevin right now through your iPod. Oh, is the Gypsy her favorite? It is 100% her favorite. (laughs) It's her episode of this podcast. You can go listen to it. Please go listen to Carrie explain why Gypsy is her favorite musical. It's one of my favorite episodes of this show. Amazing. Um, But... So, to, but now, so let's get specific with Bear trying to stick with, it's going to get a little muddy probably because you've seen the musical, but you've listened to this version. Yes. Sticking with this, because this is a huge show. I mean, the the two acts, you have to, <laughs> you go on Amazon to buy this cast album, you have to buy each disc separately. Yep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Each disc is a full hour. And also, it's the kind of thing when you're listening to it that has such emotional peaks and valleys there are several points the first time I listened to it where I got in the first act and I was like, oh, this act's almost over. And I just checked my phone to see where I was and went, oh, no, I've, I'm yeah. like halfway through act one. Yeah. And it just it does keep going. It does build and like it earns its length. But it is a funny thing to see. Like this show is long and intense. And if you have a show that's this long and intense, you're going to have things that just either get or overwrought or lost by the wayside as you yes. try in an effort to sort of be yes. clear. So what are some of the things that like stick out to you as being problematic? problematic. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, Jason and Peter have like at least one, if not two, too many like fallouts and get back togethers. Yeah. Uh, Peter sings the like, what have you done to me song like four times? <laughs> And they're all beautiful because you get like best kept secret. You get uh, 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 you stand before me. The one that he's like uh, our happy end or our oh, ever, ever after. after. So you get yeah. ever after. Then you get like, in the middle of the finale. They like Peter yeah, does this thing again. That's right. And about he that. also sings Are You There after the party, which is like another one of them. Right. So like he is like a bunch of the same same yeah it's almost like a linda edder syndrome like when james wildhorn was writing for linda edder for musicals he would write like seven songs saying the same thing for her because right. she's so beautifully because she's talented well he didn't write lyrics so right. have to, like, but yeah you're not wrong it's basically the same feel yeah. and so peter does that a lot so that is one of like the big problems of the show that i would admit to mm-hmm. um i think the other high school students uh are drawn very shrewishly or just not really, they're very just like one dimensional. Yeah. And then we get like seven dimensions of like Peter and Jason, mm-hmm. which I guess is how they're trying to explain the show, but like that gets kind of problematic. Um, I also, you can feel the vendetta that the writer has. I don't know which one of them or both of them has toward the church. So like building up into that giant thing where he makes, basically makes a priest apologize to a student Right. Like, I understand what they were going for, but, like, that's a re- it's really overwrought to get to that moment. See, that's interesting, because I actually felt, it, until that moment, that the religious stuff was handled better 
than any version of this I'd seen before. Because one of the things I really liked, or heard before, pardon me, because one of the things I really liked about it was that nobody was the villain. Yes. Until the end. The priest is kind of the villain, like, in that scene. And all the charges that Peter lays against him are accurate. Like A hundred percent. And it felt, I mean, as a gay Catholic boy, it felt good to hear someone say that out loud. Yeah. It's just, it, it's so dramatic. Just the way it's belted and the way it's written is yeah. so dramatic. He went to you for guidance. You hid behind a screen. Knowing how much empathy might mean. Did you know how much he loved? Did you know how much he cared? Lost in the teachings was a boy so all alone and scared. Father, we were so in love. And that's what I find so odd. Our love was pure and nothing else brought me closer to God. I'm sorry, Peter. And I forgive you, Father. If we hadn't started the podcast the way we did, I was going to say we should begin as we begin all things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because I had a minor flashback, and I just started saying it out loud when they do the act yes. of contrition. Yes, so I've done that before, too, like is, like being tired on the subway. And I yeah. hear it in my head, and I just start doing it, too. because to Almighty yeah. God. And, to and I love the way that the show opens that way to kind of show the way that like you get into like a lull. With yeah. the thing, and then he has this crazy dream. Well, and it's great that it's the Feast of the Epiphany. I really like that as a kickoff point to the show, where it's like, because it has two meanings, obviously, where there is a thing called the Feast of the Epiphany. It's the beginning of the second yeah. semester, and he has an epiphany. Like, yep. all, it's a really so clever, good. very, I very mean, there's a lot thing. of really smart decisions in the show. Yeah, but I like that the, like, the nun, the character of the nun, who is hilarious, as all good nun characters are, right. is mean, but... As I think the best nuns I encountered are strict, sometimes mean, and love you to pieces. Yep. That is like a nun's... My wife always says, like, the nuns should be running the church. If the church is going to survive, they're going to have to give it to the nuns. Yeah. Because that is what a good nun, a great nun is, yep. is, is she holds you to a standard you can never achieve, and she loves you the whole way you go up the journey. <sighs> and so that nun good. is a great is a great character for that. And, out of, of course, when she becomes the Virgin Mary... <laughs> in the vision yep is such a lovely i also like the little uh-huh, baby shut up right. <laughs> i like the little tag in the next scene where she says like peter you've been looking at me all day and stuff like because yep. it's the clear he's just like what have i seen it's such a good part but i also like that like when matt the secondary character who's in love with ivy um so matt is in love with ivy who is in love with jason who is seeing peter i'm just gonna line that up for the yep. audience so matt hates jason sort of under the surface and then has a moment with Peter where he learns that Jason and Peter are a couple. He sees them kiss. Peter confesses to Jason while he's drunk that, that they are a couple. Matt then doesn't tell everybody. Yes. It's not like a high school drama where, cause I thought, Oh, now Matt's going to go tell everybody and they're going to be ostracized. No, no. Matt just adds that to his list of things he hates about Jason. It comes out yep. when they do the Tybalt Romeo sword fight and he yep. calls him the F word. Yep. 
but it just brews under the surface. And when he does eventually tell everybody, it's in a small group, in a heated argument, and he says, I don't hate you, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Now, he knows what he's doing. He's right. obviously, uh, he's trying to hurt Jason, but he's not wrong. He's just like, no, yep. nothing wrong with gay people. Just like, tell everybody so we can all, like, so we, you can, re- theoretically, you can release Ivy, she can be with me, and we can all go on. That's and, not true, yeah, obviously, I mean, but it's a very high school way to look at it. Yeah, and Matt even, like, I think the Matt character is written very well because he, you see his maturity in the fact that, like, he even goes to confession yeah. and asks the priest, like, what do you do when you see something that, like, you know is supposed to be wrong, but, like, can it be not wrong? Like, yeah. Because it didn't look wrong to me. Like, right. And I think, like, I like the way that they use um, certain, like, motifs. Like, they use, the like, the thematic idea of, like, hear my voice. Like, that, that little, like, four-line... Uh, phrase Mm -hmm. where it's first used after the audition where it's like the kids who didn't get parts or didn't get the part they wanted singing like did you not hear me but then they use it again after confession where like the kids feel that same kind of like i'm not being noticed right um i love those kind of things there's so many smart things in this um and it i if i could change one thing uh in this recording what i would do is i would take out the reference to like the the foreshadowing in the opening number. Oh. I don't know if it comes across when you're listening I mean, as much as when that, you yeah. see it. But like at part uh toward the end of the opening number in his dream, uh all of a sudden things change like the music kind of changes and he says, Father, and he says, Not at a funeral, Peter. And so they had brought out like oh. so they bring out a big like coffin on stage. And so like Peter, huh. And that's why Peter sings okay. like Matt, who is like Matt Ivy, and he's asking like all of the main characters who right. it is, and the only character absent is Jason. Is Jason, and then he sings, "Is it I, Lord? Is it I?" Which is like a, a Bible phrase, right. but it's also to be like, "Is that am I going to be the one who dies?" Right. And so it, they do that to kind of make you think like Peter's going to die, but like to me it was like it's so telling of like what's going to happen. I think that, yeah, I, I will say I didn't notice that in the listening, and now I'm ashamed of myself. Uh, but I can see it. You might be able to stage that in such a way that it's not wonky, but I see what you're saying, that it's like, I, somebody's going to die. Yeah. You know what like I mean? Like, so, it, like, and to me, like, that, like, I, I see how they would think that that's, like, a big stakes raiser from the beginning, but it also, like, in the setting of, like, a teen drama that's going to bring in Romeo and Juliet, it right. just makes well, it very, like... Well, obviously somebody's going to die. And it, it's also such a long... Show. Like, one of the reasons I didn't notice it, even though I listed this more than once, is because by the time we get to the end, I it's been so long, I don't remember the beginning. Now, that's a that's more of a function of listening than watching. If right. I was watching it, I would absolutely have retained totally. it. Totally. But, yeah, I can see that being, like heavy-handed for it but you're right if you're doing romeo and juliet in a high school and it's a drama someone is actually going to die yes if it's a comedy the two people are supposed to be kissing are actually going to kiss they do have a great romeo and juliet moment and i like how it's ha- again no bad guys in this show which is great that it's handled so deftly is when ivy's not at rehearsal because jason got her pregnant yes you heard me right yep and the understudy steps in and doesn't know the lines. And it's great because it's the pilgrim speech, which everybody knows. And then Peter steps in and does the scene with Jason. Yes. And 
it's this wonderful public display of their affection that the sis the nun sees, everybody sees. Good pilgrim. Good pilgrim. Wait, I know what I swear. Good pilgrim. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much. Which mannerly devotion shows in this? For saints have hands that pilgrim's hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. <laughs> Zach, in Shakespeare's time, boys played all the parts, so I'll thank you to keep your ignorance as hidden as possible. My suggestion would be to stop breathing. She has so many good one-liners. And she's great. I mean, she's really, really like, it's like white two three, white two, two three. three. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or when she's casting the show and she's like, uh, Lady Montague. Did you have a camcorder? Yeah. Di- yeah. Diane Lane. Did you have I a caught camcorder? that. Did you have a camcorder? Yes. Lady Montague. <laughs> Lady Montague, Diane Lane. Yeah. <laughs> and what's great is Diane has been a character in all versions that I've seen or heard of the show. Oh, okay. Of like, he must have some friend that it's like right, a joke is, yeah. because Diane is always the like dumbass character. Right. Um, <laughs> she, she always says like the stupid shit where you're like, Oh God. <laughs> but, yeah. And she's the understudy, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So go. she's like, Diane's a great character. Oh my God, so how so much good. Catholic school did you have? Uh, I went to Catholic school through uh sixth grade. Oh, from like K through six. Yeah. Or what? Okay. So, so it was co-ed. Yes. Yeah, so I did K through six co-ed, but it was like the full on, like, I wear like a little tie. Well, that's Catholic like, school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like no. All full. Yeah. 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 I got you. Uh, all my teachers were nuns, like hardcore sure. Catholic school. And okay. then I moved, when we moved to Florida, I went to uh, public school. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a very different experience to be like, wait, I can wear what I want to school. Right. That's weird. Okay. So you have, what is that? Seven years. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Seven years. I have eight. It's not a competition, but I win. Uh, fifth grade through senior year of college. Oh. Uh, eight of those single sex, fifth through 12th, single sex Ooh. high school. It This show is great at creating the tone, mm-hmm. which I think is like one of the things I love about it. Cause like from the get go, you're like, oh, okay, I see where we are. Mm-hmm. And you feel it all the way through. Um, I also think that he, they write brilliant Romeo and Juliet segments. I was really impressed with that. Actually. I think they're really beautiful. Clunky. Yeah. Like I think Queen Mab is one of my favorite parts of the show. Mm-hmm. I dreamt a dream tonight and so did I. What was yours? The dreamers often lie in bed asleep while they do dream things true. Midwife, her traces of the smallest spider web ripped from the lazy finger of a maid in the state she gallops night by night. Ladies' lips, who straight on kisses, dream then he dreams of another benefice. Sometimes she driveth o'er soldier's neck, and then he dreams of. For in throat strums in his ear At which he starts and wakes And being thus frightened Swears a prayer or two And sleeps again This is she 
this is she. Um, I mean, also is like a height of sadness because as soon as the Queen Mab speech is over is when Jason's drug overdose happens. Right. It's like drugs kick in. I'm assuming he takes... K it takes, or G it takes or, a profa- according to the Wikipedia page, it takes a profound dose of GHB and because like, basically he gets like the amount that's supposed to be like for like a party for a lot of people and stuff, and, right, and they show he, you it. hear it. They actually like recorded him opening the cap. I don't know if you could hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so he takes like the big, and you can hear him drinking. Like <laughs> it's a big swig. Um, but I mean, then Queen Map, like Queen Map, comes right after the song Bear which mm-hmm. I think is also a really beautiful song yeah. and very much explains that kind of like frantic young love that people experience at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, being like feeling so exposed and like <laughs> everything. It's just, it's very like the kind of stuff you would write in your live journal or like mm-hmm. your, your notebook or whatever before bed in your high school years. Scrawling. Frantically. Yeah. So like it totally, I think it's a beautiful sentiment, but it also taps into like who those boys are. Mm-hmm. Um, it always makes me sad because I'm like, oh, he's basically saying he loves you. Don't. Why did you take those drugs? Oh, God. Yeah, it is a real. But it is again, that's what an impulsive teenage yeah, boy would do. 100%. It, it, it really makes a lot of sense. I like that they're also they come at it from two very different directions. Whereas like. Because I initially thought when the show started. The first time I listened to it, I didn't read the synopsis. That it was the kind of thing where, like, Jason and Peter were in a relationship, but it was one of those one-sided, like, Peter's in love with Jason. And Jason is very is a more closeted character. And as it turns out, of course, they're both closeted, but they live together. They're always together. They're right. playing the best friend thing right. as best they can. And it is a much more, like, Jason isn't, like, the jock. He's just a lot less comfortable. It, it not I shouldn't say less comfortable. He seems to his support structure is a lot darker than Peter's is Peter who has his mother who is manic. Yes. His father's gone obviously. Uh, but his mother isn't dangerous. She's just neglectful. Yes. Whereas Jason, I get the sense that Jason's parents are dangerous. Yes. And Jason is afraid of his dad for physical safety. Yes. Not just like, Oh, he's going to kick me out. And what's he going to do? Like yes. he really is afraid of his father. And so you get, you understand why he's so reluctant. He has that great list. I mean, he does when Peter's like, I'm going to come out to my mom and you need to come home with me spring break. And Jason unloads on him in a very logical and well thought out way. Yep. And I liked that. I hadn't seen that scene before when Peter's like, it's my, like, this is killing me. I can't yeah. keep. And Without saying it, Jason kind of says, it isn't just about you. Like, yep. this affects both of us yep. profoundly, which, of course, leads to their breakup when Jason's like, it's never going to be. Yeah. Okay. And then they break up. And it does, that breakup made a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> the other ones, like, there are some spats and tiffs and whatever. Yes. But that Did one. Did you made, sleep with her? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> But he did. <laughs> so there are a couple tropes in this show. Yes. Um, I'm just going to list off the ones I can think of, and we'll talk about the ones we think are interesting. But we have uh, gay guy sleeps the straight girl, gets her pregnant. Yep. That's a big one. Yep. Uh, gay character dies. Yep. Gay, um, there's the skinny, popular, uh, loose woman. Yep. And her overweight roommate who hates her, who yep. come to a kind of understanding because of the a pregnancy. crisis, in this case, the pregnancy. Yep. Um, that's three. What else have we got? I mean, also with the popular girl that like, there's another side you don't understand. <laughs> that's her song. You don't understand. Yeah. And it's, 
Which I will say, one thing I felt in the length a little bit. That song is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous song. Absolutely ridiculous. But I was like, Little lies and big decisions. Who to tell and where to go. Follow someone else's vision or trust my own. Cause I don't know. What's the name of the sister? Uh, uh, I was like plain Jane fat ass. But yeah, right. <laughs> Which is a great song also. Yeah. What is her name? Her name is... Uh, I want to say Nadine, but that's not right. I have the list right here. What it's her name. Oh, God. Uh, her, Nadia. Nadia. That's what it is. <clears throat> you I, beat said, my computer. I heard James Snyder. Nadia. Nadia. <laughs> but he's like doing the mom's right, voice. Right. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> the, so she piles on, on Ivy in a way that by the time that song came up, actually, I was like, you need to stop. Like, I get Leave it. Leave her alone. You hate her, but and this is abuse. This like, you might are... be something that you didn't get from listening. Oh, sure. Is, uh, I, there's a spot where she says, um, Ivy says, I've noticed some of my clothes are missing. Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, we've all noticed that. Yes. Right before, in uh, the versions that I've seen of the show, uh, before that scene happens, uh, Nadia is alone in the room and she sees one of what's her name's like tops yeah. and she puts it on and stands in the mirror and looks at herself like with self-loathing because she looks so awful at it right. and then she tears it and throws it behind her bed oh. and so that's to let so you we get know a that like, this, this is, is happening. she's been doing this I did get from that that like Nadia has been taking her clothes. Like I got that. Okay, I, I was like, yeah. I got when she says I've noticed some of my clothes. They lay it on thick in, in the show. show. <laughs> I understood something was ha- like there was something yes. I wasn't seeing with yes. the clothes. But she she is very that's a good mean resp- to her. But that's the thing is she's so smart. And those responses, like yeah, we all have. And the thing about I mean now Ivy does get in one good dig about her belly button. Oh yeah, that like, one's so good. It is good, but it's the first one. I mean the the pile ons that just keep slamming and slamming and slamming yeah. Ivy. And I was really just like starting to hate Nadia. Yeah. And it was not what the show wanted me to do. Right. It did. It, And it's one of those flaws you, you, you talk about where like I, the show wanted Ivy to earn the audience's sympathy. So when she breaks out in her, you don't know me. Yes. I almost started singing. You don't own me. Um, it was, you, 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 you feel it. You want to be on her side so yes. that the song brings you there. But the unfortunate side effect of that is right. I hate Nadia so much in right. the moment that I don't care anymore. Yes. Um, and I also feel like it's it's hard for Ivy because she has what I call the Ellen syndrome, mm. which is like uh, Miss Saigon can do whatever they want to try to make Ellen a, like a character that the audience relates to. 
But like, we have been watching a story of these people's love for so like, for like an hour and 20 minutes at this point. So like, we aren't rooting for you. I'm sorry. Right. Like, you're and the other. we're never going to root right, for you. Right. You're the yeah. other woman. Right. And so like Ivy's character is like, they try so much because like, if you think about it, her act one number portrait of a girl mm-hmm. is basically saying the same thing as uh, all grown up, mm-hmm. except for the pregnancy part. Right. It's basically the same idea of like, you don't know how hard it is to be this beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's the same idea twice. Right. But it's just we are supposed to suddenly feel for her because she's pregnant. Which right. is like a trope moment that like the audience yeah. feels. And so it doesn't earn our love, which is kind of like... Because they tried to fix it and bear the musical mm. by... They wrote a new song called... Uh, you don't know. And it's a duet for Nadia and Ivy, but it's like a, okay, but it's, they're not together. Sure. No, I get that though. Yeah. So they're both singing like, you don't know anything about me. And it's after one of those fights, Mm -hmm. they have like mean things said to each other. And in, in the new one, because it was Barrett Wilbur Weed, they didn't do fat jokes. It was just like, you're a piece of trash because you're like selling drugs and like a goth girl. She was more like goth than anything. So they did like a lot of like goth jokes. Right. And then after one of those fights, they both went like walking around the school and it was just like in the song, you kind of find out that she like, I like why Nadia feels like crap and wishes she was Ivy and Ivy shows like why she feels like crap and wishes she was Nadia. And so it's like, it gave it, they tried really yeah. hard to give it that. But like I said, it's Ellen syndrome. We're never going to root for you because we want the love story to work. Well, and it's a shame making Nadia not overweight. I agree. I was actually... That is such an interesting part. It's not an interesting character trait. It's just the fact that we don't see that. Yes. Like, this show has a lot of things in it. This version, the the two-disc version, has a lot of things in it we don't see. Yes. And like you say, it's a, it's a, we have a gay relationship that is very, it's just a gay relationship. It's just handled and there are parallels between the straight characters and the gay characters, but it's just. It's like, not overly sexualized, which right. I don't think people realize is like a huge deal to like gay people who hear stories. Like, sure. Because if you watch them, like everyone's like, oh, do you watch primetime TV? There's so much gay stories happening. I'm like, yes, but they're all sexualized. They're like mm-hmm. hypersexualized. Like how to get away or how to get away with murder or whatever. Like the gay character was like sleeping with someone every episode. It was about how hot he is and he's always a slut. And like that's always the gay character and the gay mm-hmm. trope. So like to be given a story where like sex is something beautiful, but not even shown and not really like. Their love is more important than the and sex. They, they, just make, they make it clear in the beginning that they are having sex. Like yes. they make it very clear that like this. And they is talk a phys- like boys because they, it's high school boys. Exactly and they right. Would say stuff Being, like that. Exactly right. And they do it in that very blunt way. But then for the rest of the show, like you say, that isn't it. It's their relationship that yes. we're talking about. It's their yes. emotional feelings. That their emotional feelings. It's their emotions that we're talking about. And yeah, that you're absolutely right. I thought there was some very poignant commentary cultural storytelling commentary especially in ever after which is the line it's time to wake up peter put away the fairy tales like a striking midnight can't you hear not all tales have happy endings we can't keep pretending because there's no such thing as heroes who are queer and i just thought that's perfect that is a perfect theatrical moment where you have a character who is a hero who is queer saying that and you realize why like you say, 
and like we all say, representation is important. Yes. That just to see somebody on stage Mm -hmm. having a functional sexual, yes, but mature relationship that has problems like everybody else's is important. And it, it takes you to another place. And I feel the same way about Nadia that she expresses this, like her resentment is also very visual. We see it right away. She's overweight. Ivy is hot. This is a, this is a tension between the two of them. And it's not that Ivy is with the boy that she loves. It's not whatever. It's just that Ivy always gets what Nadia wants, just like Jason always gets what Matt wants. Yes. And that parallel is perfect. It's perfectly conceived in that moment to be like, it's it's not anybody's fault. Yes. This is just the way it is. Ivy gets Juliet, Nadia gets the nurse. And and starts slapping Ivy, which is again so good. A, it's good. I really again, feel like there's a slap there. there. I, <laughs> and I don't disagree that that's hilarious. But again, she's so mean to this. So like, mean. Matt is always. I mean, it's great in the valedictorian scene where he comes in second. He gets Tybalt in the show. He's the bad guy. Yeah. It's not. He's not even Mercutio. Yeah. And uh, who is anybody who plays Mercutio? Do Peter. You know? I thought Peter played Benvolio. Uh, Peter, pretty positive, is Mercutio. Okay, then the Wikipedia because he does the because he does the Queen Map speech. Oh right, and dies. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. At some point, somebody says Ben something's Benvolio. It's because this is one of the things that like so the boy that I uh, found out about the show with with Mm -hmm. regional stuff like we both loved the show and like he loved to have somebody talk to him about it so we just go in depth about it and what's interesting is when she's when the nun is naming the cast Mm -hmm. she doesn't say who Peter's playing she lists every other character but she doesn't say Peter is playing Mercutio but then like 20 well, seconds later call, yeah. the mother call and he says best friends playing best exactly friends. Yeah. but they never say it so we were like oh shit like is that like a mistake or do they just cut like edit it out or like what but it never gets said in hmm. this, on this recording and that was like That's one of really our favorite little easter eggs huh that is, is that funny. like he's playing mercutio because you find out because he sings the queen map song and they right. do the best friends being best friends that's right that's yeah. That's what I thought was that he was playing Mercutio. Then the article said somewhere in the Wikipedia it says Benvolio, and I got. Confused. And then Matt Doyle does, does the, the whole like, uh, I died under your head. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I really. I have to say, my favorite moment of the Shakespeare set to music was during the scene where Ivy's not there, and Peter starts singing the pil- his Juliet's half of the Pilgrim speech, mm-hmm. where um, what's it, Diane? Can't sing, or does not can't sing. Doesn't sing. Right, like she just says the line, and then she says it again, and then she swears she's like, "I got it." And then Peter just starts saying it, but he's singing it. So like, if you if you know it, you're singing it. It's just a neat little convention yep. of the show. Yep. That it's really it's it's nice. It, yeah, it is. It is it, very. It made nice. me kind of be like, I kind of wish they just done Romeo and Juliet, like the musical. Like a pop musical. I guess that's Romeo a trope. I guess that's one we forgot to list. But a that's that also Romeo is and yeah, Romeo and Juliet being involved and so like threaded into the show is very like it's a problematic thing because it's tropey and it's so i mean there's like four or five tropey things in here and there's some stuff we've never seen yes and it yes i don't like ultimately (laughs) i don't know where it comes down in that sense like so did the the musical that you saw you say it went more Spring Awakening-y in that sort of... It went, like, it, it was very, like, in the vein of Spring Awakening and, like, Dear Evan Hansen kind of feel. Mm-hmm. They, like, made it very about texting and, like... Uh, that makes me so unhappy. Like, Matt takes a picture of 
Jason and Peter kissing at the rave. Okay. And then like later on, instead of like their their fight, which you, we actually love in this recording, yeah. Matt texts it to everyone in the school. Yeah, see, that's what I don't want to say. That's, that's the really... thing is they made it. And then in the musical, Bear the Musical, um, from what I remember, I uh, so Ivy is dating Matt. Right. And Which Bear, I kind of, just Nadia you is, telling me that, I go back and forth on it. Right. Like, that might be And Nadia is in love with Matt. Yeah, see, I don't like that So either. they added, an, and I was like, there's too many, like, That's expressly pieces. what I just said. I didn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like so they added those kind of things, and it just, like, it didn't. That makes it more melodramatic. Like yes. that's the, the thing. Show, of it. The yeah. show became much more melodramatic when it became Bear the Musical, and it feels more like a musical kind of in that yes. moment than like because pop opera is kind of a weird thing to call something, and there is definitely dialogue in this. Like it is not a sing through. Yes, but this feels so much more. Like we, I say, it is very long, and while some moments repeat, one of the benefits to something that long is it gets to take its time with with character things so that you can allow small things that are seemingly small problems to develop over a long period of time so the characters can have problems just like i don't like my roommate uh and that can build and grow and you can get the time like i say i think nadi's maybe a little too mean to ivy but she has time to be mean to her in small ways we don't have to have a scene like one song where she's super rude to her right that then results in a breakup because we only got 90 minutes. We're yes. taking our full two hours and we're really going to earn every Agreed. single beat of it. And I think that that's what's really nice about this recording and this version of the story is that it just takes its time to get to the place of yes. genuine emotion that would be lost in a kind of edited stream. And I get why they make those decisions like, oh, and so they're, they're dating, so that stakes are raised, and then... Nadia wants Matt, so those stakes are raised. But it's, it, they're kind of. That's not what the show is about to right. me. It's about right. it's about kids, and kids' problems aren't generally that dramatic. Yep. They're just. It also then un, doesn't undercut, but a little bit takes away from Peter and Jason's problem, which should be the most dramatic. Yes, most clearly dramatic. Because one of the things that I felt very real in this show is an actual problem I experienced with friends in college. And an interesting conversation I got to have with with some parents years later. Whereas like, I went to Catholic University. Um, Catholic U had a strict, probably still does, uh, didn't care so much about drugs, but um, cares a lot about sex. And has a strict inner visitation policy, which was that after 2 a.m., uh, when I went there, the dorms were not segregated by sex, but they were segregated by floor. And... Um, so, like, after 2 a.m., you couldn't be on the girls' floor if you're a boy and vice versa, uh, which at the time I thought was dumb. My wife, who's an RA, later explained to me it was nice for the women to be able to kick out men who maybe didn't want to leave uh, on the policy of, like, listen, you it's, have it's, to. it's two after 2 a.m., like, I'm sorry, like, this is the rule, you got to go. And that, when she told me that, I was like, oh, that's actually might be a good thing. But now, since then, they've they've actually made the dorms single sex, um, which is a great way, as I say, of, of like doing something, looking like you're doing something without actually doing anything. Right, right. Um, but one of the things that the side effect of this is that there were a lot of same sex couples flying under the radar or not because, you know, nobody really cared. Right. And they would room together quite often. And then because they were 19, they, they would up. break up. Yep. And they're hope, moving down the hall. Yeah. And... Well, no, they're not. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, they right. They were kind of stuck with each other. I liked that in the show that, that he moves out and moves in with the drug dealer, which was a neat 
little thing. And also clean, like a clean thing to do. Uh-huh. But like changing rooms, a Catholic was hard. I mean, it's a very hard thing to do. And so they would just live with each other and grow to hate each other. Yeah. Sharing not an apartment, but a room, a room. with yep. somebody. And I really hope they all learn <laughs> <laughs> just a little something about like, Maybe not. Maybe yeah. don't. Maybe don't do that. Like yeah. right. Like so fast. You don't need to move in right away. Not right away. And I get when you're 18, 19, 20, even 21, you're like, no, no, this is a great this idea. This is my life. This is the best idea. <laughs> and I had a lot of people who were in, you know, heterosexual relationships who moved in with their their uh, significant other off campus. Yeah. And then same thing broke up and they broke leases and yep. like did all kinds of terrible things to their credit. Yep. yep. Because they couldn't be like, how about just not? Like, just, yeah, I get it. You don't want to pay two rents and spend every night in the other apartment. But, you know, as Woody Allen says, it's like a free float, floating life raft that we know we're not married. <laughs> I don't know if I should be quoting Woody Allen, but it's, it's that, like, <laughs> I never know. I have so many of his quotes in my head and I keep them mostly to myself. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, so it, it's, it, there's, a, there's a maturity to that that you don't gain until right. you're older and or have that experience, yeah. quite frankly. And the show does a nice job of sort of, of doing that of bringing those moments together and that's very romeo and juliet that it like yeah that it's the rashness mm-hmm. of youth yeah and that like this it wouldn't have gotten to these extremes if they weren't put in such dire circumstances by the powers that be well and they get married i mean peter and jason they don't of course because it, right. it turns it's a nightmare and it turns around oh that was another trope i noticed there's a joke about massachusetts <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because it's, well, this is, so this is 2000, this recording, right? Yes. Okay. So that joke would have actually been topical. Yes. Because it had run, because like the first time they did the joke was when it, because it first ran off Broadway. um, And I think it was like very topical when they Mm -hmm. did the joke. A lot of cast albums now to me feel very sterile and contained, partially because of how they're recorded, which is a necessity of a, a, a financial necessity. Right. Um, that the uh, orchestra is recorded on one day and the artists are recorded separately, sometimes not all together. In fact, usually not all together, just sort of bring them in one at a time and they do their tracks and then it's mixed in a very digital environment. And right. I don't I don't get kind of analogy about things very often, but there's something about the sound of like everybody doing it at the same time mm-hmm. that you just cannot replicate yeah. digitally. And this show, it feels like a performance, this yes. album. It feels yes. like a performance. That's one of the things I love about it. Yeah. And, and it's I think not it lo- makes yeah. it easier to forgive some of those, uh, like the problematic moments, because you're like, but she sang in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it isn't clean in that. Right. Like when she's doing, and then the nun has all the great songs of those, high, when she's got Mary or when she, you know, whatever she's doing, when she's letting go, like with God Don't Make No Trash. She is, yeah. Like you feel it in the room, and like, yep. you know things aren't quite exactly perfect. You're right. It's not. It's and not it's like beautiful a perfect. Exactly. It's it's a yeah. natural, real performance. Yeah, and that's what I want to hear. On it, that's what makes cast albums to me different yeah. than than other kinds of albums. And I really appreciated that, especially because, as I said before, it's very long. <laughs> it's very long. Very long. It's I'm very sorry, long. I picked a two disc. No, one. it's well, no, two disc is one thing. Two hours is another thing because there's a lot of two disc recordings. I mean, he's got to come out to his mother, and then she's got to sing a really long song about how she's trying to be okay with it. I loved the mother. She's great. I gotta say, from the jump, I like the way she's introduced in his sort of cockamamie. Yes, that was yes, very nice. They do a lot of. I will okay, we'll come back to cockamamie. One second. I like the um, I like how she's introduced in his fever dream of like how she knows 
that but she doesn't say anything yep. and and her whole very stereotypical prim monologue that he is projecting on her which later we kind of see he's right but the tone is all very different how like manic she is yes. and like unhint and like she's not as put together as as her son thinks she is yes. which is a nice parenting moment but what it would you when you said cockamamie what it reminded me of is how mainly with the mother and the son conversations the lyrics play with rhymes beautifully in really that do. coming out song yep there's a great trope where there are very few rhymed lyrics at all except he sets up a lot of lyrics to be peter singing i'm gay and it never comes out he always gets cut off or he yep. cuts himself off and it's some other word slides in to rhyme it yep. and you feel this tremendously frustrating build in that it's song. so true. Berkeley took their wait list. When they called, I almost died. Would you really go to Berkeley? I didn't know that you'd applied. Mom, please listen to me. Where did Notre Dame go? I didn't know that you withdrew. People will be disappointed. Have you really thought this through? Mom, this is important. Mom, you need to listen. Please don't shut me out here. Mom, you need to see me. Peter, please, I'm so busy here. Let me call you later, dear. God, this is so hard to say I'm so afraid you'll turn away Mom, I'm Peter, please, I need a break Whatever it is, we'll have to wait I'm going to hang up now I really need to hang up now Don't hang up, this took such courage I'm dying here, I'm all alone I know you know you know what I'm saying Just let me tell you Mom, I'm Peter, please, I can't solve all your problems Mother, you know nothing of them And I'm not expecting you to find solutions Just to be my mom and my friend And then it doesn't happen I mean, when they hang I'm sitting there listening to being like Eventually this is going to happen to me And then they hang up Yeah And I was left there sort of sitting going Wow, like that's yeah, and that felt very real to me. Of this, like that's how this conversation goes more than it goes the other way. Yeah, is the like I know what you're gonna say, and I'm just not. I am not I'm ready to hear you. it because yeah. once you say it, it becomes real, and yep. that's what she said or sings to herself after he gets off the phone. You see the other side of that for a moment of just mm -hmm. like, what did I like? What did I do? Yeah. I know what he's gonna say, and I love my son, and I want like this is. I've just done a bad thing, which right. as a parent, like that guilt felt very, very real to me of the like, oh, that kind of crawl. Yeah, I was going to say like, I'm not a parent, but like, it was really nice to hear that song because it made me think that like, they like, your parents are people too. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, that's what I say about like, I like about the length and the time that the show takes that everybody's a person and everybody has, except for maybe the priest, everybody gets a chance to step forward, which I wonder if that state. was a point, like if that was a purposeful choice, if they wanted to keep the priest more <clears throat> like stoic and not fleshed out because yeah. they wanted him to be the cold face of the church. I was going to say that that's what that felt like to me was that he because when he comes in, there's weight. Yes, his presence gives a tremendous weight to this in the confession scene. I mean, the opening, obviously, in the confession scene. And then when he keeps, he, he only comes in five or six times. And every time he comes in, everything changes. And it is funny how, like, in Jason's rant at Peter, the hierarchy of people telling people, father is above, as he calls him, which is great, above his parents. Where it's just like, your mother's going to call my mother, who will tell my, my, my dad, 
who will they will then go see father and yep. then they'll come to me. I mean, it's this like yep. that your parents wouldn't go to you directly, that they would go to the church first. Yeah. And then you is such a I mean, and obviously a very real thing that has happened to people. But it is that feeling of like where you fall in your parents pecking order. Yep. And there's this thing, physical barrier represented by the priest in between you and and your parents that is terrifying i will say though to your other point that one of the problems with the father not being fleshed out is that he does feel like unlike every other character in the show very two-dimensional yes and he's just a bad guy and he's just a bad guy because he's a priest yeah and i don't know that is where i feel like that's that there must be some kind of like writer vendetta yeah, and I don't know if they didn't want to wade into all of the things that can come with priests and, and gay altar boys right. and all that. Like, I, I get it. But at the same time, I would have liked to have known what he thought mm-hmm. and what he believed and what kind of person he was. Like, did he, was he literally just oblivious? Did he just not know? Did he not know because he didn't want to know? Or did right. he know? And like Claire, uh, Peter's mother, he was just trying to push everybody out to graduation and then it's somebody else's problem. Yep. All of these are valid things that any actor could play, but I would like to have the, the writers make a decision, a decision yeah, about it. I agree. And also, or even have him be torn in the sense that like, I'm a good guy. I'm a good priest. I'm a good priest for the right reasons. But because of all these things, these other terrible priests and cardinals have done, I cannot counsel boys, right. especially boys who are, who are, who might be gay or I think might be, I can't go near them. I can't yeah. be alone with them. Like, and, and then it becomes an issue, a bigger problem. Then he yeah. has a bigger problem above yeah. him where it's like, I can't be in a room with a student and close the door. I can't do it. Yeah. So I can't help these kids the way they want yeah. me to help them. I'm stuck that we've just written Kevin a bit more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> It's so true, though. Like it, <laughs> there's so many things they could have made a decision with, and I think what what's sad is that like the only real beginnings of that we see is in the duet with Jason when Jason's like trying to tell him that he's gay, yeah, and he's like trying to kind of stop him from doing it, but like it doesn't. He's just being used as a foil to show Jason's mania and like at his like last straw of life kind of thing. Like, so it's not him being developed it's him being used as a device to develop jason more mm-hmm. so like you i totally agree that that would be nice to see a fleshed out thing just because it's also nice to see like in contemporary shows seeing like a villain who's like just a hundred percent of villain is not as like satisfying as seeing like the well-roundedness of all the characters kind yeah of thing. especially when you have all this time like you're yeah. taking the time Maybe cut one of the breakups. No, really, but you could. And you could. And cut one of the moments where, where Nadine is, is uh, or Nadia, excuse me, is super mean to Ivy and give the priest a song. Yeah. So that when he apologizes, like, I think, I feel like you're right. I feel like they want him to feel shame. They're, they're shaming the priest in yes. that moment. Yes. And what I would really rather see is a man whose worst fears have come true. Yes. And he has failed somebody totally and completely through inaction yes i mean I agree. that is the worst kind of failing where like it's not that you actively hurt them like that's one decision but that feeling of like i could have done anything yep. and things might have been different but i didn't i just sat here and i didn't say anything and i didn't act and as a result or not somebody's dead 
and that's not even just a di- like a commentary on the like priesthood. That could be a commentary on the education system exactly at large. Right. Yeah, then it's like, teachers. Then it's principals. Right. Then exactly. it's everybody. Then yeah. it's saying to people like doing something is difficult, but doing nothing can have the worst possible outcome. Yeah, and that's where the then and also then the sister gets a much better. She's already great, but her version of that, her like constant action, then becomes like sort of you understand that's her way of handling this problem. Yes. That when the student comes to her directly, she will directly tell you what she's thinking and she'll directly open up to that student. But until then, like you say, it's white two three, white two three, mm-hmm. and like she and, and all that, which is just God, that's a that's such an amazing line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She has so many good lines. Can I? So you'll appreciate this, I think. So I, as I say, I have twin girls, and when I read to them, they sit one on each knee for the time being. They're they're getting too big for that, but for the time being, I can do that. And whenever we read something with a rhythm, I like to bounce out the rhythm so they understand the rhythm. Right. But and I always did this with my son, but I'm very very conscious to bounce on the two and four. Like I'm very much like we 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 yeah. move on the two and four guys. That's where we clap. We're 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 right. a white family, but we can do better. And <laughs> however, when you have kids on each knee, your tendency is to bounce like this. Yes. And I noticed I was bouncing my one daughter and the one and three all the time, and then I got very nervous. <laughs> so now I bounce both knees at the same time, and as a result, which I is have, more work? It is. I have very toned calves right now because like, <laughs> but it's that thing of just like sitting crisscross applesauce as we say and bouncing your knees and it's just such a funny moment for me of like music theater and parenting like intersecting yep and being like i have to be a good music theater person so you're gonna you're gonna clap on the two and four but oh god oh no now i'm just ah. <laughs> and now, I can't, now my feet are asleep it's so t- <laughs> that's so funny it's just the silly. oh parenthood it is, but it's such a silly problem <laughs> right right we're just like because if I grow up and she but starts clapping the con- on the one and three, I'll be like, I failed her. Yeah. I failed my child. Especially if the other one is on two and four. I know. You can't. Now, that might be fun if you have twins. Right. And, like, they're clapping on, on off beats. Like, that could be if they form a double act. That'll be so. My, my right. wife is very excited that one day um, they're going to be for Halloween before they can have an opinion about it. She wants them to be... Uh, baby June and, uh, and baby Louise. Oh, that's and perfect. I keep, but I keep saying... Which one are we gonna make, Louise? And which one are we gonna make, June? It says a lot about the. Now we do have one it that's does. Like way more outspoken, and one is a lot more quiet. So I think that decision might just make itself. I'm right. Like, well, you were quieter, so you were Louise, and you were June. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what we should actually do is make the one who's talkative, uh, dainty June, and and then make uh, the other one a cow, and just have it be. Oh my that, god, that's amazing! Isn't that a deep? That's a deep. This show has a sing out Louise joke. Is that like the um, there was there's some song where somebody else yells "Sing out, Louise!" Uh, sing out, Louise! Yep. It's, yeah. Is it there the? Uh, it's early. The too. birthday when there's yes, 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 yes. I would wear three. Maybe I'm not being clear. They're here. Quiet. These are so good. Sing out, Louise! Guys, we're all the cubs. Shut up! It totally does have a. <laughs> Is that the line between like music theater person and not like and like casual theater? What fans? catching on that? If you those get things? sing out, Louis. Like if you know what that means, I would say that's a good that's like a benchmark good, of like right. if you're a musical theater fan. If or I not. say sing out, Louise, and somebody laughs, I'm like okay, you get it. Yeah, you're, you're one of my people. Totally, I would yeah. agree with that. What's your favorite song from the show? Yeah, 
Um, so I oscillate, but I would probably have to say that my favorite song is Roll of a Lifetime. Oh, okay. The like early on yeah. Peter Ballad. Sure. Um, which Good is choice. actually where the musical lost me because they changed it. It's Pete, it's Jason's song. Oh. And I really didn't like that because I, the show arc in the pop opera shows that like Peter's figuring his stuff out and then Jason's slower to figure it out. Right. So like I, and I thought this song is like a very much, and they also changed a lot of the lyrics in the new one. Um, mm-hmm. But Roll of Lifetime sung by Matt Doyle is like, it, it's just, it very clearly says what a Catholic gay boy worries about. And I think it's written really powerfully to show his longing and his nerves. It's like the first full stop in the show mm-hmm. um, from the frenetic craziness of the opening. And then the you see their life in the first song of like how like their buddies and everybody's like, Jason, you're so cool. And he's like, hey, let's go kiss in the corner. Oh, we can't. Hey, yeah, go. right. <laughs> so like and then it's like you kind of see all the craziness of everything. And then this show, like this, like the first full stop. Um, and yeah, it just always really resonated with me. I liked that as part of Peter's argument to Jason of why they should do the show too. I thought that was really clever that yeah. he's like, well, we are the best actors in yeah, the school that is. <laughs> and it's a really clever, but it also goes right to why Jason doesn't want to do the show. Yep. Because he knows he's exposing something. Yes. And that was also why I was really appreciative that he isn't a jock. Like they make, cause he says that about like. I was thinking about playing baseball this spring. And he's like, you say that every year and you never do it. Right. And you get the sense that Jason maintains his position and his popularity and all that by not doing anything. Yep. By never taking chances, never taking risks and never doing anything. He's like, if I, if I just maintain everything will be fine. He's just marking time and you can't obviously live your life that way. Yep. And then of course, ironically, the one time he does take a step forward, um, everything goes to hell, which I'm always dubious yeah. of in shows when that seems to be if you read it, you can read it that way. Yep. Be like, oh, if he just If kept, you try. Right. If you try, <laughs> you will be killed. You'll overdose on GHB during a live show yeah. and die. Um, that is the message of the show. That's what happens. It isn't the message of the show. But there are sometimes in shows like this, and I think it's one of the dangers of killing the characters. Yeah. Is that what did we then say about because I assume that hasn't changed. Like that's still no, in, yeah, that's still in the show. Yeah, and the show still ends very similarly, which I think is a sad way to end a show. Yeah, and not even just like the story is sad, and so it's a sad way to end a show like that way. I mean that like, like Peter's final lines in this are not. He's more lost than before, which I understand. Mm. I feel like they're trying to show, obviously, the repercussions of this. T- it's like the. Yeah. Like the repercussions of what can happen. And this is kind of like the moral where they're showing like, look how awful things are. We need to fix this so kids don't kill themselves because of this. So I get that. But like Jason, like Peter had like just started to kind of figure his stuff out. And like, I love in the plot that he doesn't just say like when Jason's like, come on, let's try again. Let's try again. That he doesn't cave. And And he's like, no, like I still love you, but like we can't do this. Yeah. And like he stays strong, they sing bear, and he's like basically saying I love you, but like, and I don't know how I'm gonna do this without you, but like I have to because I have to be strong. And then the kid dies, and then his lines in the final song are basically just like I don't, I don't understand the world anymore. Right, which is which is sad that like his character like loses his resolve, 
And that's the last thing we're left with. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. And you're absolutely right. That is not a great note to end on. I got really hung up just on the tropiness of it. Yeah. So I hadn't even really thought about, yeah, it's a real, don't kill the gay characters, guys. Don't like, (laughs) don't do it. I it's mean, not, if, if you're going to, if, if like it's necessary, well, don't for make that the story. point. Yes, like that's because that, that's what it becomes. Is, yes. is like that became the point was that this world could not hold him, and so he, and also he kills himself. I mean, it's that like, which is also, if you look at that trope, that is actually the trope. Yes, because it's often they die in a moment of sacrifice. Yes, and they are sacrificing themselves for that, and which is kind of how. Um, Mercutio dies, sort of. Yes. He, he sort of dies in a moment of sacrifice. But, you know, so the parallel is fine. Right. But those characters often sacrifice themselves so that the straight people can learn a lesson. Yes. And I know that's not what this show does. Like this, Correct. This isn't doing that. But like you say, our, our protagonist seems to learn the wrong thing. Yes. At the end of the show. And it's just... We spent so long with them, and we we saw them go to such interesting places. It'd be nice if he finished with a like. I mean, I I would like to see him end angry. Yes, like this didn't have to happen. Yes, and he kind of gets there a little bit with the priest. Yes, he gets that moment with the priest, but like we've said, it feels more like we're just shaming the priest, right? And it, but that doesn't get because that happens right before the finale, right? And then the finale, he suddenly is like forlorn, right? And I, I agree with you. It would be better if he kept that anger, and we almost had more of a moment where, like, at the funeral, Peter kind of like cuts in, and instead of like this really like, reflective a moment alone, he cuts in. And it's kind of like, hey, like, yeah, th- like has he, like him this saying is nonsense, empowering yeah. him in that moment would have been like the best way to combat the like gay death trope and also bringing him together i think with his mother at the end would have been nice agreed in in a way of like you've lost jason but you but you have discovered that you do have a support system and it's not a like a romantic one but you have this thing you didn't think you had and now you and your mother and maybe nadia can go into the next for because also the, the other problem i have with a lot of high school set shows is they treat high school like it's the end of the world. Like that's it. And I understand that that's how it feels when it's in there. And that's why I appreciate that in yes. one sense. Yes. But it isn't. No. And it's one of the things I really like about Heather's is that when Heather's ends, there's this great look to the future. Yes. Of being like, listen, we don't want to be 17 forever. Like right. let's just go out and live our lives. And there's a lot of high school shows and high school movies that's sort of been like, well, that was the best time of our lives. Yeah, and, and you're like, like, oh, I hope not. I had a really good time in high school. It was not the best time Same. of my life. Same. Like, it was not even close. And it wasn't, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's there's such danger. And also, ironically, you're leaning on this very old, straight, white trope of high school being the best time of your life. Yes. And, like, that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's the absolute worst. It's, yeah. Cool. What have you got coming up for people that you can... You can be found weekly. Yes. On your phone. Yes. At Broadwasted. Yes. With with uh, with uh, with Brian and, and Kimberly. Uh-huh. Um, and those are all great, and everyone should listen to those. But where else can people find you and your your lovely work? 
Uh, let's see. You can. Uh, so if you go to the Broad Wasted uh, catalog, mm-hmm. you can find. I've actually written uh, three radio plays. Yes, that we've you done. have. Oh my gosh, yes, uh, you have. That you can check out. They're all on Broad Wasted for free. Uh, the album for uh, the most recent one, which was a musical, yes, uh, is for sale on iTunes, and all the proceeds go to a charity called Broadway Bound Kids that brings uh, arts education to schools in New York where they've cut funding um, or just don't have the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, they're an amazing little program, and I love them. Uh, and then, other than that, I would say uh, keep your eyes peeled for uh, the holiday season this year because there will be a new radio play coming out that will be a musicale oh my um and we're not announcing too much yet but it is a uh the parody is being brought much more to a contemporary piece okay because last year's was a parody of it's a wonderful life yes and the year before was a parody of uh a christmas carol Mm -hmm. and so this year we're going very much more contemporary and it will be a uh parody of something that everyone probably has seen and watches on TV uh, very regularly during the Oh, holidays. okay. We'll let that... And just so people know, the people in this radio play are people you've heard of. Yes. <laughs> <They're> uh, not... <laughs> uh, when we did A Christmas Carol, our Scrooge was Michael Cerveris. Right. Who was uh, also in this last year's production. Yes. And it's uh, uh, Jeremy Jordan. And uh, who else was in this year's? Uh, this one is... Jer- there's Jeremy Jordan, James Monroe, Eigelhart, uh, Aaron J. Albano, our good buddy, uh, T. Boyich for Mean Girls. Uh, there was, yeah, there's just a yeah, lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people, of people. you know. <laughs> and Jen Gambatis. Like, we just have a lot of the people that come on our show and have fun with us on Broadway State are more than excited to come and play with us on these silly little uh, radio plays that we do. Right, which is so and great. We just it's have so, so much wonderful. fun with that. Yeah. So, yeah, so great. check me out there. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, thank this you so, so much, much for fun. coming. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Kevin Jager for coming down and talking to me. T- no, I, I went to you. You did. So thank you for coming to me. Oh, <laughs> you're hijacking my finale and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs>